we're gonna get started. Hi friends. My name is Crystal, if you're new tonight, welcome. Glad you guys are here. We have been going through a conversation, a study called Basics, where we're going back to kind of the basic things we believe as people who love Jesus and who are following Jesus, so that as we're walking out like the stuff we encounter every day, we have these things that are like foundational to us so we can move forward. So the first week we talked about Jesus. Does anyone remember the question that we asked the first week? This is pop quiz time, guys. Close. I know, I know, That's a, those are good questions. We asked the question, is he worth it? Yes, is he worth it? Because that first week we were saying, when we come up against stuff in our life that is hard, you know, we're consumers a lot of the things that we know about Jesus. We're consumers of his love, we're consumers of his grace, and that's all good in the way it's meant to be. But then he asks us in return, come follow me. And so the question we need to ask is, is he worth it? Um, and then the week after we talked about the Holy Spirit, does anyone, pop quiz number two, does anyone remember what we said the primary function of the Holy Spirit is? Yeah, yep. And he does something. Do you guys remember the arrows that we did? The three arrows? Yes. Love having notes on a pop quiz, right? Isn't it great? <laughs> yes. So the primary thing that the Holy Spirit does with us is he makes us new. Remember, guys? We are reborn into the family of God. And so we have that connection with Jesus and with the Father that's never going to fade. It's never going to go away. Once you're born into the family of God, you can never be unborn. You can never lose what God's given to you. And the Holy Spirit is with us every day to help us walk this out. So we're going to kind of wrap up this idea of like foundations with talking about scripture tonight. Um, so I'm going to pray. And then we're, we have a lot to go through. Um, so I'm just going to jump in after that. Okay, so let me pray. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the ability to have a projector tonight. Thank you for your word that is true, that we can trust. Thank you for laughter and friends and conversation. God, I'm so grateful that you love us and that you are intentional about the things that you say to us. Pray for help tonight. Help me to speak the word well. Help me to divide the truth in a way that pleases you and teaches us. And um, thank God, I just look forward to learning from you tonight. In your name, amen. All right, guys, so my brother does not follow Jesus. I don't know if any of you guys have family members that don't follow Jesus, but I have a couple. And um, he likes to challenge me a lot on my, um, my decisions and my life choices and my belief system. So he called me a couple weeks ago, and um, we were just kind of like talking about life or whatever. And then all of a sudden he's like, so do you really believe that all of the animals went onto the ark? Like, is that something you really believe? And I was like, it is indeed something that I really believe. And then he followed that up with like, well, do you believe that Jonah actually was swallowed by a whale? And I was like, indeed I do. <laughs> and then he was like, well, science doesn't really, you know, that doesn't answer the laws of science. It doesn't follow the things that we are taught in school. And I was like, well, that's because they're supernatural things, not natural things. And there's a difference between the natural world and the supernatural. And so we went into this whole big discussion. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, he finally ended that conversation by asking me, well, have you ever asked yourself these questions? And I was like, absolutely, I've asked myself these questions. I have um, like really dug into it from when I was in high school. And here's the thing, guys, is that we can be okay with asking ourselves questions about who God is 
and whether we can believe scripture and does science match up with things? Because I feel like a lot of times we check our brains at the door. We feel like we have to check our brains at the door sometimes and be like, well, if I believe in God, then I can't believe in science. Or if I believe in God, then I have to, you know, respect what other people say about truth or if they have like PhDs or they've been to school and I haven't, then we have to say, you know, well, then I'm just going to agree to disagree with you. But guys, we don't have to. Because the God who made the natural world, made the laws of science, the God who wrote the scripture, knew everything from the very beginning to the very end. And so there's stuff we can really dig into and trust. And tonight my goal is to like walk through that stuff with you guys and give you some foundational things to know. And not only if you haven't done your homework, I really encourage you guys to read it and do it this week, even if you've never done it before, because there's a lot more in-depth information in there that you can, and I didn't just like scratch the surface, you guys, but you guys can definitely dig in deeper yourselves. So here's some things that are often said about scripture, that the Bible is full of myths and fairy tales, that it contradicts science, that the Bible is just written by a random variety of men, so it's not inspired. And then the question often comes up, well, what makes the Bible different than other religious books? And tonight we're going to use Psalm 19 kind of as our guide as we walk, talk to this stuff. Because Psalm 19 specifically is a psalm that talks about how God reveals himself to us. And that's the number one thing I want you guys to know tonight. And that I want you to remember is that God is always speaking. God's always speaking. He is a communicator. If you guys remember in Genesis chapter 1, it says, how did God create the world? He spoke it. Yeah, he spoke it. And then Jesus, one of the names of Jesus is the word of God. He's like the living manifestation of the word of God. And then the last book of the Bible is called Revelation for a reason. Because God is always speaking from the beginning of time to the end of time. He wants to communicate with us. And so um, we're going to be going back and forth through slides, guys. So bear with me a little bit. We have to... Y'all, I cannot wait for Bedford to like be an open campus and move in and have all the things. Um, but I'm glad we have this tonight because I really, I'm looking forward to showing you guys some videos and doing some slides with you. Um, so the first thing is, is the general revelation of God, and that is nature. Um, let me see if I can find it. Y'all, God speaks through nature. Um, so we're going to start with just reading that first part of Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6. And it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. I love that first part, the heavens declare the glory of God. The first like general revelation, the first language that all of us can speak is visual. God is declaring that he exists and he is alive and he is out there to all of us through nature, through what he's created. Um, if we think about the heavens and we think about the stars, there are some things that scripture says about stars. I'm going to make us work tonight a little bit. So um, I want you guys to, let's see, I'm going to give every table an assignment. So Sheila's table, I'm going to have you guys look up Genesis 22:17. Tiff, I'm going to have your table look up 
1 Corinthians 15, 41. My table, you're going to look up Isaiah 40, 22. And let's see. I only have one left, guys. I'm really sorry. So Candy's table, I'm going to have you guys look up Job 26, 7. I'll give you guys another job a little later <laughs> tonight. I'm going to give you guys about two minutes to look those up. All right, so the first one we're going to read, guys, and I'm going to ask Sheila's table to read it. Do you guys have Genesis 22, 17? Yes. Go ahead. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand in the seashores. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. Thank you, friend. So he says in there, He's talking to Abraham, and he says, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Do you guys know that even to this day, we don't know how many stars there are in the universe? This right here is a picture of the Milky Way, which is our galaxy. And there are, in our galaxy, there are 100 billion stars, just in ours by itself. And then we don't even know for sure if that's true. That's an <coughs> estimate. So it could be more than that. So scientists say, we have no idea how many galaxies there are in the universe and how many stars there are in the galaxies. Isaiah 40:26 says, lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls them each forth by name. And this is what I love, you guys. We serve and we love and we're loved by the creator God who knows not only how many stars there are, but what their names are. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. Tiff, can you guys read yours? There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and another glory of the stars. Where stars differ from star and glory. That's written by the Apostle Paul. How did he know that the sun is a different kind of star than the moon? How does he know that? There is literally no possible way that they could have known without ever having gone to the moon, ever having taken a picture of the sun, that the sun and the moon are two different kinds of things. Um, can someone read Jeremiah 31, 35? Did I give that to anyone? Oh, that's wonderful. I'm sorry, guys. I could have given you. <laughs> I apologize. Will you guys look that up? Candy. <laughs> Candy, will you? Yes. So back in the ancient Near East, Middle East, there were a lot of legends. I mean, there have been legends all over the world for centuries about creation. Some of, some of the people have said, you know, the earth is sitting on a giant turtle. Um, some cultures have said the earth is sitting on a giant alligator. Some people have said there are giants holding up the earth on their shoulders. All of the ancient 
you know, civilizations and religions had these stories and these myths about what the earth was actually sitting on. A lot of them thought the earth was flat. So how does Job know that the earth hangs in space with nothing around it? How does he know that? Scriptures are not a science textbook, but scriptures are scientifically accurate when they talk about nature. And that is something that we don't talk about enough in the church. We don't say, actually, this is what this says, and how did they know that before all of the rest of us knew it? You know, these are answers you guys can take back to your relatives, your friends, that you may need for your own heart to stand on your faith and say, the God who created the universe knows what he's talking about. Um, can I have, I think I gave my table Isaiah 40:22, right? Can one of you guys read it? Thank you. So in Isaiah, which was written before Christ, he's describing the earth as a round circle, not a flat. How does he know that? Y'all, we still have people who think the earth is flat, which is ridiculous, but it's 2020, and we still have people who think the earth is flat. It is not flat. It is not. Isaiah lived before Christ. He lived before any kind of technology. How did he know that the earth was round. Galileo was the first one in the 1600s to take a telescope and look at the stars. And he was the first of several to put forth a theory that the Earth was round and that the moon and the sun actually didn't revolve around the Earth. So in the 1600s after Christ, that was the first time that humanity began to say, oh, perhaps we don't know what we're talking about. But Isaiah, who lived thousands of years before him, already knew. You guys ready? Yes, Jeremiah 31, 35. This is what the word said. He who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea, that it its waves roar, the Lord Almighty is his name. So he's talking about in that scripture, um, I think, what, can you read it again, Steph? Is it the what of the sea? Um, we stir up the sea, so that it way, put its ways forward, mm-hmm. and we're all the same. Hmm. Oh, and I think in there it talks about the stars following a predictable pattern as well. predictable pattern. Um, So yeah, so all of that, you guys, should encourage your heart. I hope it encourages your heart to ask some questions because the next fill in the blank, which I'm probably just going to tell you guys what the fill in the blanks are because this is going to be easier for our lives, Um, (laughs) mine in particular. But the next fill in the blank is that truth is not afraid of examination. Truth is not afraid of examination. Awesome. So we're going to move a little bit from the stars and talking about 
you know, natural things to something else that's natural that we discover, which is archaeology. And over the centuries and over the years, a lot of scholars have said, well, scripture talks about X, Y, and Z, but what we've found doesn't back it up, so it must not be true. And that's a pretty common argument, even to this day. So I wanted to go through some things that you guys may or may not know about that people doubted for a long time, but then archaeology eventually backed up what scripture said in exact, precise detail. One of the things is that people did not believe that the Hittite nation existed. The Hittites are mentioned several times in Genesis. Let me see if I can find the scripture. Let's see. This might be it. Um, I'm just going to read it to you guys. It's in Genesis chapter 26, verse 34, if you want to look it up. And it says, When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Barry the Hittite, and also Basimath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. That's just one scripture that mentions the Hittites, but there's many all the way through Genesis. And scholars believe for a long time that it didn't exist until they found the capital city of the Hittites. And here it is. This city is called Hattusa. They found it in the 1800s. And once they found it, they found a whole lot of pottery. They found the Hittite language. Um, and there's this whole culture that they had unearthed. But up until then, it said, wow, scripture is talking about this people group. And we can't find them, so it must be that they're not real. But there they are. And critics and cynics have also said that Pontius Pilate did not exist because for a long time, we couldn't find anything that had Pontius Pilate's name on it. Until recently, actually, they found this. And it says, there's an inscription, and it says, um, Tiberium Pontius Pilate Perfectus Judea, which is basically Pontius Pilate, governor of Judea. And then last year, they actually found a signet ring as well with Pontius Pilate's name on it. And so... As we go through scripture, and as these things come up, and we say, man, but history doesn't record, it's not a matter of it not being real. It's a matter of when we find what scripture has said to be true to be true. And I want to give you guys one more example. There's a story in Daniel that talks about this king named Belshazzar. And he kind of is like a very quick mention, but he's very um, notable because there's a moment where God like, has a hand write his doom basically on the wall because Daniel goes in, he's like, you're drunk, all your people are drunk, and you have totally failed as a king, so you're done. And his hand writes this on the wall. Well, people have said for a long time, Belshazzar was never a king in Babylon because we can't find anything. Well, here it is. This is a cuneiform cylinder, and it mentions Belshazzar by name and the name of his father. So it's just a matter of time. Archaeology is constantly backing up scripture and things that it says are real, that they happen, and that they're true. So is scripture myths and fairy tales? Nope. It's not a history book, but it's full of history. And the history is accurate, and it continues to be proved accurate. Do you guys want to do one more? I want to do one more. Because I'm like, this is, this is me nerding out. I love it so much. <laughs> I love it. So we're going to do some more. Let me see. It's not, oh, there it is. Okay. So there's a lot of conversation around the Exodus because as they walked through the desert, they didn't leave really much of a path as far as like history or, you know, towns or, or things that, you know, the, 
the tribe of Israel went through and just stayed. They didn't stay anywhere, so they just kept moving. So there's not a lot to like dig back up and recover. However, so people will say, well, the Exodus never happened. Except when you get to Jericho. In the story of Jericho, the Israelites march around the wall seven times and the wall falls down. Except for one specific part of the wall where the prostitute Rahab kept the spies and she lived there. And so in the book of Joshua, she specifically asks for them not to destroy her house because she and her family are going to hide there and then leave with the Israelites. So as they're digging out this um, city of Jericho, archaeology confirms that in fact the walls did fall down except for one specific spot where there's a house still standing. And so it's incredible, you guys. Like, not only is scripture exact to the detail, archaeology is like exact to the detail of what happened. And so Jericho is one of the most, I think, amazing proofs of the Exodus and of what Israel did as they walked through the promised land. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so if Jesus is the truth, we need to not be afraid to ask the questions and look for the answers. Because if we don't find the answer, we don't know the answer, it's not because the answer is not out there. It's just because we haven't found it yet. So we're going to keep moving. And we're going to look at specific revelation. So we looked at natural revelation, right? Which is nature, it's science, it's all of the things that God has made that says, I exist. And then we looked at archaeology, which also says, these things have happened, and they're there for us to find. Specific revelation is the word of God. General revelation, everybody can access it, everybody can see it, it doesn't have any language except for the language of the visual. Specific revelation is the revelation of his word to us. And Psalm 19 speaks about that. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. All right, so one of the things that we've said about the Bible that is a question that people ask is, wasn't the Bible just written by random groups of men? It's not inspired. It doesn't make sense. Well, there's something I want to bring up to you guys about the accuracy with, with which the, um, the Word of God has been preserved. So we have a bunch of manuscripts. And this is a little, I don't know if you guys can all see it. This is a little thing that says, um, it goes through some of the ancient manuscripts that we have and then the copies that we have that back them up and when they were written. So let's see, I'm just gonna pick one. Plato was like a philosopher. He, wasn't like, he was a philosopher way back when. And the earliest copy of his writings that we have is 900 AD, which is a 1200 span from when he lived to when his, things, his sayings were written down. And we have seven copies, seven manuscripts of his sayings. Um, Homer, the Iliad, maybe you guys have read the Iliad in English class. It's a classic. It was written in 900 BC. The earliest copy of it that we have was written in 400 BC. There's a time span of 500 years between when it was written and the, the earliest copy that we have. And we have about 640 copies of the Iliad, which is kind of a lot, actually, for an ancient manuscript. In comparison, for the New Testament, 
we have, it was, it was, the New Testament was written between like 40, 50 AD to 100 AD. The earliest fragment we have is 125 AD, which is a time span of about 25 to 50 years from when the things happened and were written down in the New Testament to our first copy of the manuscript. And we have 24,000 copies of the New Testament in Hebrew and Greek. 24,000, you guys may or may not know that. That is an outstanding amount of manuscript evidence. It's, that's like beyond normal for, um, for an ancient writing. So then people will say, well, you may have a lot of copies of it, but how do you know it was copied correctly? <coughs> and this is something that I love to share with people because it's so exciting. So you guys have probably heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, the Dead Sea Scrolls, there was a huge, let's see. Yeah, there was a huge like cache and they had all of the Old Testament in them from Genesis to, uh, I forget what the last book of the Old Testament is, but one of the prophets. And they were all there except for the book of Esther. <coughs> And the book of Isaiah, specifically, is one of the longest books of the Old Testament. It has 60-plus chapters in it. And so they started to compare, like, the oldest manuscript that they had before the Dead Sea Scrolls were found to the Dead Sea Scroll. And to just let you guys know, there's a thousand-year gap of, of time between the oldest one we had of Isaiah to what they found. So that, that Dead Sea Scroll is a thousand years older than the, the current book of Isaiah that we had. In that book of 66 chapters the difference between what we had and the Dead Sea Scroll was 17 letters. Not words, 17 <coughs> letters were different in that entire book, which has no statistical difference on the meaning of what was written down. So you guys, I want you to know, and I want you to trust that God has preserved his word. People will say, well, it's not real. They made mistakes. It wasn't copied correctly. No, it was copied correctly. That's another statistical, like, Anomaly. That's not normal for something to be copied so exactly from a thousand years to a thousand years. That's crazy. Um, I could keep going. There's a whole lot of stuff that we could talk about with manuscripts, but I think manuscripts are kind of dry and boring, so let's talk about prophecy. The Bible is full of prophecy and of things that, he's, um, that God has said, this is what will come true. And I just picked one. Do you guys remember Nineveh? It's the city that Jonah went to. And God talks a lot about Nineveh, especially in the book of Nahum. I don't know if you guys have ever read Nahum. It's not the most exciting book in the world, but still very valuable. But I never had read Nahum a whole lot before. So in the book of Nahum, it says, chapter 1, verse 10, they will be entangled among thorns, talking about Nineveh, and drunk from their wine. They will be consumed like dry stubble. So there's a specific... Uh, historian who said, and he's talking about the end of Nineveh, that the Assyrian king, who was the king of Nineveh, gave a lot of wine to his soldiers the night before the battle because he was feeling pretty cocky about being able to win. And he's going up against Babylon. So um, in the 612 BC timeframe. So he said the Assyrian king gave a lot of wine to his soldiers. And then because he did that, that night the Babylonians attacked and they burned Nineveh to the ground. So in Nahum chapter one, it says, you're gonna be drunk from wine and you're going to be consumed by dry stubble. And it will never, in Nahum it goes on to say Nineveh would never be rebuilt again. And that's exactly what happened, according to the historians who talked about the Babylonians sacking Nineveh. It was never rebuilt, and that is old Nineveh, right there. Um, another, there's, 
300 prophecies in the Old Testament, you guys, about Jesus and his coming. 300, and all of them, all of them have been fulfilled. But I'm just going to pick one. In the book of Micah, chapter 5, it says, But you, Bethlehem, even though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. And then in Luke, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, So Joseph went up from the town of Nazareth, in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the lineage of David, and they went there for a census. So in Micah, which was written about 400 years before Christ was born, it says very specifically that the Messiah was going to come out of the town of Bethlehem. And then in Luke, there's a census, and all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph are going to Bethlehem and Jesus is born. So as we talk about scripture, and as we talk about what scripture says, we can trust that it's been written accurately, it's been inspired by God for us. We can also trust that what it says is true. If you guys wanna dig into prophecy on your own, like I really encourage you to do that. There's a whole lot of like, interesting things that scripture has talked about over the years that have come true. There's some that still haven't come true that have to do with the end times that we're still waiting to see. But there's a lot that you can look back on and say, wow, scripture is accurate to the smallest detail. And then finally, you guys, the intimate revelation of God is the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Psalm 19 says, but who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your, keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So God speaks through nature. He speaks through his word. And then finally, God is so close and near to us, you guys, that he speaks through his spirit into our hearts. And he looks not only at what we're doing, but what we're thinking. It says, who can keep me from willful sins? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. God knows what's on the inside of us, whether we like it or not. He knows it. He knows it. And the word of God is God breathes. So when it enters into our hearts, it changes us from the inside out. It's called living and active. The thing is, is that I think we get a little bit prideful sometimes when we think, oh, I've reached some kind of new level in my Christianity or I've been a Christ follower for a long time and I don't need to give the word of God the prominence that it used to have in our lives. You guys, we never outgrow the word of God. We're never too mature to not read our scriptures and spend time with Jesus. We need him as much like the 45th year that we've been following Jesus as we did the first year. So I want to encourage you guys. The scriptures are the sword in our hand to fight spiritual battles and it's the light on our path to make decisions as we walk through life. I would like to challenge us in this generation where we have a lot of pride and we have a lot of other voices saying, oh, do this or do that, or do what you feel like you want to do. That God has preserved his word for thousands and thousands of years and generations of people. And so in 2020, to say that we don't need his word anymore or we don't need to listen to what he has to say is ridiculous. We need him probably more now than we ever have before. So I would like to share with you guys a scripture, bless you. Um, I don't know if you guys know who Louis Giglio is, but he has a really incredible talk that he put together. Let me show you a couple more stars. This. Oh. Back to him. 
And so my question for us tonight as we talk, it is, ooh, it's almost 8.17, so we have like literally 10 minutes. But what I want to ask us tonight is, are we listening? Are we listening? What is God saying to us right now? It could be something that is a general revelation. That's just something that you understand easily. It could be something that is from his word, that is specific to your life. Or it could be an intimate conversation that you and the Holy Spirit are having about something in your heart. So tonight, the question is, is what is God speaking to you? And I'll come back up and close this at 8.30.